Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Donefsky, and today I spoke with Dr. Wendy Harrison, the CEO of the SCI Foundation. As Dr. Harrison explains, SCI's vision is a world free of preventable diseases. One preventable disease that SCI is focused on eradicating is parasitic worm infections, a disease which is not often heard about in developed countries. However, they affect over a billion people around the world, the largest group being school-aged children in the poorest communities. By working to prevent these infections in others, SEI is reducing impaired child development, increasing school attendance, and positively impacting the societies where these diseases are doing the most damage. I found my discussion with Dr. Harrison to be very enlightening, and I hope you do too. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Wendy Harrison, the CEO of the SCI Foundation. Dr. Harrison, thank you so much for speaking with me today. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. So to start, could you discuss your background and how you came to the SCI Foundation? Sure. So actually, I trained um, as a vet uh, first um, and worked in clinical practice. And then I also had um, a period where um, I worked in the pharmaceutical um, companies developing uh, a range of drugs from cardiovascular to uh, immunological drugs. Um, And it was actually during that time, I guess, kind of understanding the links between human and, and animal disease that I became really interested in this kind of concept that we now call One Health. And um, during um, that period, I also um, did some volunteer work with an organization called HEFA International, which works with um, with communities to donate livestock. Um, and I guess that was a, a moment working with them when I really became very interested in, in the contribution that um, animals and the impact that animal disease has um, on uh, communities uh, across the world. Um, and I guess that experience was something that really stimulated me to actually go back to university um, and do a master's in public health in developing countries. And it was from there um, that I worked with the um, what was then called the Schistosomiasis Control Initiative based at Imperial College. Um, and that was very much had a focus on uh, communities in uh, sub-Saharan Africa and working directly with ministries um, of health um, to work on obviously schistosomiasis, which does have a, a zoonotic um, component. Um, and from there, I also um, had a, a grant quite early on working at Imperial looking at um, another zoonotic disease um, called cystosarcosis that has a, a pig um, in, in part of its life cycle um, and causes a lot of epilepsy. About a third of cases of epilepsy in um, sub-Saharan Africa are caused by, um, by this, this parasite. Um, and as you can imagine, kind of epilepsy in areas where there's very poor um, diagnostic capabilities can really uh, cause a lot of not only physical problems, um, but also uh, uh, a lot of stigma. So, yes, yeah, so that's how I really came into um, the SCI Foundation as it was at, um, at uh, Imperial College. Um, and then in 2017, with the retiring of the, of the founder, Professor Alan Fennick, um, I then became um, CEO and we actually moved into... Um, 
um, are uh, an independent organisation, which we really did for, for primarily operational um, reasons, which gave us much more sort of uh, flexibility as a, as a smaller organisation. But we very much retained our links, our, our academic links um, with Imperial College and a number of other um, of academic institutions that we've, uh, we've worked with. Yeah, and you mentioned One Health. Can you talk a little bit about the One Health sure. philosophy? Sure, yes. Yeah, one of my, my favorite subjects. Um, so, yeah, so, so one, the, the kind of the fundamental concept of One Health is just really understanding the interrelatedness of human, animal and environmental health. Um, and that I think very traditionally we've taken a, a lens either from human health or, uh, or or animal health, but we haven't actually linked um, those things together with the, the sort of shared environment that, that we all um, obviously uh, inhabit. And I think more and more we're understanding that those absolutely inextricable links. And when we look for control measures um, and risk assessments, we really need to think about all those three sectors, um, how they influence each other. Um, and by taking those sectors in isolation, actually, you often miss some of the root causes and also some of the resources and the solutions that um, that there are to those different problems. And obviously, I don't need to talk about the, the current um, situation, obviously, um, with, with the current global pandemic being from um, uh, an animal um, uh, origin. Um, and also many of the endemic diseases that we work on that actually, you know, hold communities uh, in poverty and reduces their access to appropriate services and um, quite often um, those have a, a zoonotic um, com- component. Yeah and what is SCI's mission? So um, SCI's vision of a world where um, there is no preventable um, disease and one of the things that really drives us is that many of the diseases that we work on uh, within the group of neglected tropical diseases um, are absolutely preventable and we uh, globally have the the solutions for those um, to, to prevent those diseases from happening. And so we feel quite a, a moral obligation to ensure that the communities that suffer um, from uh, those diseases um, do have the benefit of the solutions that are existing. Um, and particularly that from the pharmaceutical side, um, and obviously something sort of within my background, that actually many of the pharmaceutical companies actually donate uh, the drugs that are needed um, free of charge um, for those communities. So, you know, we see it um, as, a, as a real imperative to make sure that those, those free, um, free drugs actually reaches, reaches, reach the people um, that need them. But also, I guess, coming from that idea around um, kind of looking at the interconnectedness between different um, sort of sectors, um, really to think about um, how um, we can look at preventing those diseases from happening in the first place. And so looking at some of the environmental factors, so such as water and sanitation um, and, and hygiene that have an impact on those life cycles to look at the health, the broadest possible interpretation of a health system that in our view does also include the veterinary public health system um, because not only do obviously as I said animals contribute to that but also um, the veterinary public health system has has an infrastructure, it has um, health professionals um, you know, that, that a lot of time you know, may be the only sort of um, trained health professional that come in contact with the community. So there's real opportunity for, um, for, for um, you know, sort of supporting those broader um, kind of health sort of measures um, and, and prevention and ultimately elimination of, of the diseases that, uh, that we work on.
Yeah, and I know that SCI does a lot of work specifically with the issue of parasitic worm infections. So could you explain what they are, what harm they do, and just the extent of the problem? So, um, so yeah, so parasitic worm infections are um, called, um, the, the parasitic worms that we work primarily on um, are schistosomiasis and a group of three um, intestinal worms that are called soil transmitted helminths. And these are part of a broader group of 20 diseases that are called neglect, that the WHO has designated as, called, as the neglected tropical diseases. And these essentially, as the bigger group of 20 doesn't actually have biologically <laughs> very much in common, um, but actually it's really about the populations that they um, affect. And they are um, populations that have very little access to proper water and sanitation um, and also um, healthcare. So we're, we're dealing often with very sort of rural um, populations that have, have really poor access to services. Um, and so the worms that we work on, so schistosomiasis is um, essentially um, also known as a snail fever or bilharzia. Um, and it's a, um, a parasite that lives in the blood vessels um, of the gut and the bladder. Um, and essentially what actually causes the, um, the pathology is that those worms who are sitting in the blood vessels release hundreds of thousands of eggs. And those eggs lodge into um, the tissue of the, the bladder and the, um, and the genital tract and also the uh, intestinal tract. Um, and they act as basically foreign objects, if you like, within those, um, within those organs. And, and the body mounts a huge immune response against those, um, those eggs. So it causes very significant tissue damage um, in those organs. And obviously you then get blood loss. Um, and it also predisposes to um, to, to cancers, um, and within the female genital tract, it also predisposes women to um, HIV. And there's a study in Tanzania that shows that women with this genital form of schistosomiasis um, actually are three to four times more likely to be infected by um, by HIV. Um, and in children, it really does um, affect their um, abilities to attend school, to learn, to really take advantage of any um, of the opportunities um, that they are that they're given. Um, and we use data. We collect obviously uh, a lot of our own impact data. Um, but there's some very interesting data that was um, over a very long period of time in in Kenya um, that shows that actually treatment of children. Um, they followed children over 20 years. Um, um, and they found that actually it has a very profound impact um, on the life chances. Having having treatment in school has has this very profound effect. And they found that 25% um, increase in school attendance of, of children that receive treatment at school. Um, and also um, there's a 40% increase um, in the um, productivity um, of, of adults um, having received those, those treatments. So it really does, treatment really does have um, a, a very long-term effect, um, which is why we see it as such a, you know, sort of cost-effective and, and treatment that has a very long, long-term uh, impact. Yeah, and can you talk a little bit about why children in particular are so affected and also what SCI sure. is doing to help? Sure. 
Um, so yeah, that that's a, a great question. Um, and, and what I didn't touch on, which I should have, was the was the life cycle um, of, of the parasite. Um, and essentially, what happens is, as you can imagine, the eggs that were are released into the urine uh, are released into the urine in the feces, and um, and if the urine feces contaminate any water bodies um, that contain snails, then um, basically the snails amplify uh, the parasite um, and increase by many thousands of folds the, um, the, the, the parasitic mericidia. Um, and then what happens is that those um, parasite, the, the larval parasites are able to penetrate intact skin. So any activity that, inc- that includes people coming into contact with contaminated water um, allows um, the person to be infected. So you can imagine in many um, environments, children will play in, in water bodies, yeah. especially in, in hot climates. Um, also, um, often women uh, will do washing um, at, at lakesides um, and children, particularly very young children, will play in the water um, while their parents are, um, are, are doing the, the, the washing. Um, and often, um, you know, if there aren't any um, appropriate latrines in the area, then children um, often urinate and sometimes defecate into, um, into, into lakes. So children um, are, are often exposed um, and also it, the impact of the disease is most um, in children. They often have very high worm burdens um, and obviously as they're developing, um, you, you, that has a very significant impact. So, um, so us as an organisation, um, we focus, uh, and traditionally we focus very much on treating um, school-aged children and we treat them often through a school platform. So um, it's, again, a very cheap and effective way of, um, uh, of being able to distribute medicine by going through uh, the school. Um, but we've also, um, working with colleagues at Imperial College and, and, uh, and, and other academic institutions, um, uh, contributed to modelling work that actually shows um, if we're going to reach elimination of the disease, which is the World Health Organization goal for schistosomiasis, um, that we will have to treat other populations other than children. So although we have a focus on children, because obviously that's where most of the symptoms occur, um, we are also um, very much wanting to to treat larger target populations to uh, really um, move towards eliminating the disease, which of course is what we've done in many of uh, of higher income uh, countries. And, and also that's where also we bring in um, this idea of thinking about the environment um, and obviously from that life cycle it's very clear um, that you know proper water and sanitation is also really important and kind of understanding people's behaviours and what are the drivers to those behaviours so that we're able to support them in making different choices and having opportunities to, to be able to carry out the, their daily chores that we all have to carry out in a, in a, in a safe way. That's interesting. It sounds like the people who are most likely to be infected are also some of the people who have the worst reactions or worst situations after infection. So it definitely seems important to treat. Exactly. Yeah, and I was just going to say, can you talk about how is poverty both a cause and a consequence of the poor health caused by infections? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. And I know that's uh, yeah, that's definitely something for that for many of the NCDs is a, is, is kind of a, a catchphrase, as it were. Um, and I think that um, yeah, we're we're obviously 
you know, kind of very uh, focused on on supporting uh, the communities that have uh, you know, are, are affected by these diseases. But and, and often these communities, um, you know, as I said right at the beginning, have very poor access to um, to water and sanitation and um, to problems proper medical care so they're they're often communities that aren't well served by um by essential services and um, so often those people are um you know in, in poverty um and because these diseases are chronic diseases um that they do reduce people's ability to uh, be in productive work to be productive caregivers um, and um, and to benefit from um, any educational opportunities that they may have so actually that 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 kind of perpetual vicious cycle um, that you know it then means that they aren't able to um, you know to to utilize the opportunities that they have and that they're kind of trapped in this in this this kind of vicious cycle as you say of kind of being in poverty to start with, and then uh, not being able to be productive to, um, you know, get get themselves um, out of poverty. So, um, yeah, so it very much is is that vicious cycle. Um, but I think what we're very clear about is that that actually many of the solutions for communities to to get themselves um, out of those situations does need to come from the communities themselves um, and and obviously the, the, the governments as well. Um, and so our philosophy is very much working alongside um, communities and governments to be able to help them generate their own solutions that are appropriate for their circumstance um, and really not trying to impose any knowledge that we may have gained from other contexts um onto those situations because we realize that um you know every every country and even down to every community has different needs different aspirations different kind of geographical con- uh, context so we're we're very clear that you know we we perform very much of a you know of a, of a collaborative um uh, uh, approach kind of understanding that we have some knowledge but a lot of knowledge is is within the communities themselves um and really it's it's about a kind of bilateral sort of knowledge exchange if you like um of trying to come up with with the solutions and and providing any resources that we may have um you know available to us to to support the communities and indeed the um the governments that run that run the, the national level disease control programs sounds like SCI finds really sustainable or long-term solutions by collaborating with all these different governments and I think that's really important too absolutely and and that's exactly right and that sort of sustainability piece that I I know is kind of quite difficult in one way because I think sustainability means a lot of different things to to different people but I think for for us I think it very much means around you know being able to provide what knowledge is is useful that we have and the resources to allow people um, you know to to basically make those different choices to generate their own solutions um, that we know in the longer term um, you know are going to be things that um, you know, that will ultimately bring about the control and and hopefully elimination um, uh, of this set of diseases, um, and that you know, we obviously want to contribute what what we have, but but knowing that you know, that is only only part of the solution. Yeah, and I know that SCI is a Give Well and the Life You Can Save recommended charity, which means that yeah. it recognized as a very cost-effective and data-driven organization. So what does SCI yeah. do to ensure the cost-effectiveness of its programs? Sure. sure. So, yeah, that's, again, a very great question. 
and we've come out of uh, obviously an academic institution, so uh, so sort of data is absolutely sort of in our in our DNA. Um, and actually, the the, the organisation was founded by one of the very original Gates Foundation actually grants when it was you know way way smaller um, than it, than it is now. And actually, that was a proof concept grant, so that was very much around generating the data to show that um, these national level programs that we now support um, are cost effective and impactful. So um, we are sort of, yeah, our, our approach has always been very much from, from a kind of data driven um, sort of impact um, uh, approach um, and ensuring that, um, you know, that we continue to be as cost effective uh, as we can. Um, I think one of our key strengths as we see it is that we have a sort of distributing model, if you like, in the fact that we don't have any um, in-country offices. So we have no sort of infrastructure, if you like, in, within country within the countries that are affected by um, NCDs. Um, and we, we have this sort of pool of, 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 of technical um, assistance, as it were, within um, the UK. Um, and we work then directly with our colleagues in ministries of health. Um, but um, that's much more on a, a remote, and obviously our, our teams do visit the countries to support where needed. Um, but we feel very much that that's, that's a very cost-effective model um, because obviously we don't have people, uh, you know, the cost of setting up offices, which, which often are, are, are quite expensive. So we, we feel that, that that as a kind of operating model is a, is a very effective one. Um, and with GiveWell, and we're enormously grateful for the kind of stewardship I think that GiveWell has uh, provided um, to us along with the Life You Can Save and a lot of other organisations, you know, around constantly striving to be more cost-effective um, and to ensure that we collect the right amount of data, um, and we often um, and we, we do have um, you know a lot of analysis of um, of, of the costs. Um, and the cost drivers um, of our treatment and really look across countries to see whether there's any kind of comparative advantages that we can see um, that we could utilise any cost-saving approaches from one context to another. Obviously, no significant contexts are very different, but are there things that we can, um, that we can, we can learn from? Um, and also kind of monitoring trends um, in, in costs of programmes, again, to see where we can, um, you know, where we can, where we can be more cost-effective and where we can work with countries. Because um, I think one of the very key pieces that we never really quantify the contribution of the country programs um, themselves um, and obviously um, the ministries of health contribute significantly to the programs um, and so almost slightly shifting that perhaps that the, the uh, ministries of health can support larger portions of the program um, and that external um, support needs to be smaller um, also you know we see as, as something that kind of drives the cost effectiveness of, of our particular um, sort of contribution to the overall um, program. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're, they're you know, some of the key things that we, we continue to do. And as I said, you know, we're really grateful for, um, you know, for, for, for a lot of the sort of evaluation organisations because, um, you know, they really do catalyse and ask some of the really difficult questions that, um, that I think really help us to grow and evolve as an organisation. And can you discuss some of the current research that SCI is working on? Yeah. 
Um, so we are, so we have a monitoring, evaluation, and research um, sort of arm within or function within the organisation. Um, but actually, the the research is done across a whole range of different areas. Um, and I guess it. So we've currently got a big focus on female genital schistosomiasis. Um, so as I mentioned before, that year very much is linked with an increased risk of um, of HIV. Um, and we obviously see this, you know, as a um, as a very important um, intervention to to reduce the burden of, of HIV as well as as well as schistosomiasis. Um, and so we have uh, we're involved in um, in in two research projects there, um, looking at how we can um, better target um, women and um, and girls who are um, at risk of the increased risk of HIV. Um, we're also uh, working with a large consortium of partners on access to a paediatric formulation um, of, of um, prazoquantel, which is the drug we use to treat um, schistosomiasis, because we recognise um, that, as I said, you know, with knowing how the disease is transmitted, that often very young children and, and often babies are um, exposed to um, to contaminated water when their mothers are, are you know engaging in, in in daily chores at um, at the riverside and the current formulation of prazoquantel um, isn't um, uh, appropriate for for children under five um, so we're really working on both. Uh, the consortium, which which contains both the pharmaceutical partner who is able to develop the drug, um, but also um, how actually we are going to distribute that and, and allow access. Um, and we're also doing a whole raft of work around um, actually um, mapping, for want of a better word, um, the where um, schistosomiasis actually occurs um, because um, it's a very focal disease and so often around water bodies um, but um, really we're looking at better sort of geostatistical analysis to be able to to better pinpoint exactly where the disease is at its highest um, and also how then we translate that into um, our treatment strategies um, because often we use the kind of administrative unit within a country so that's like a district um, to actually target our treatment um, but knowing that often we we might be able to target our treatment even more precisely um, that would actually allow us to uh, to be even more cost effective because obviously we're, we're, we're sort of tightening as it were the um, the group of people that we're, we are actually um, treating so we can be even more focused um, and, and more effective and there's a number of research projects um, going on there looking at how we um, how we do that. Yeah, and are there any particular experiences that you personally have had firsthand that have shown you the impact of SEI's work that you can share? Yeah, there's 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 kind of several. I'm and sure, I, yeah. I think it's I think the thing that always stands out to me is when we when we visit these communities who obviously live you know, live very tough lives, but the the real sort of resilience and the positivity um of uh, of these communities and as i said you know the, the the knowledge and the expertise and the ingenuity um of, of of people in these in these circumstances and really you know we provide such a tiny really you know a tiny component of what's needed to um to, to really beat these these diseases and to control them um and really that you know 
the the communities themselves are the people that just need some some support and some resources um, to be able to, to to find solutions for these um, themselves. So, you know, I've, I've visited um, several communities in uh, in Malawi, in Niger, Burkina Faso, again, which you know who, who are in really difficult circumstances, but they're their abilities to generate solutions, to remain positive, you know, is, is actually really, really uh, inspiring um, and, and very, very humbling. So, you know, I think that they're the things that really, you know, personally, um, I find, you know, sort of motivates me to, to, to continue to do the work that we do. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And because of all of SEI's great work, can you explain how people can best get involved? Sure. Um, so, so yes. I mean, I, I think the twofold. First of all, um, you know, partly because Shifty Tomatoes is such a difficult, <laughs> such a difficult name to to pronounce, um, but also because these are neglected diseases. These, these happen to people who aren't going to travel. They're not going to be you know, a pandemic risk. Often, they're not even heard by their own government. Um, is that really just a, a, a awareness raising, you know, of that the fact that these diseases, you know, affect billions of people. You know, one in one in uh, so, so it's one point seven billion um, people are affected by um, these these parasitic worms that we work on. Um, so you know, that's sort of one in seven people on the planet. Um, you know, are affected um, by these diseases um, that, that very few people have heard of. So really, just just an awareness raising. Of, of people, you know, sharing stuff on social media, you know, just liking posts, you know, all those sort of things. I think it's just so important um, to, to, to raise the profile. Um, and also, um, you know, there is the, the component of, of financial um, support. Um, and especially as, as you may well have heard about, um, the British government are, are actually um, reducing their support to overseas development um, across all sectors. Um, very disappointing. But um, the the UK government has been a real leader in this area in, in NTDs, um, and they are actually exiting their their program for NTDs, which is which is really disappointing, you know, for for, for the space. Um, but um, you know, they have provided great leadership to date, um, and really, you know, there is a there is a need for for, for some financial support um, uh, as well. But but we recognise that that sort of comes often secondary to. A awareness raising and um, so we feel that that really is a you know where everyone can get involved whatever their financial um, position. Great and is there anything else you'd like to add about SEI or anything else we discussed before we go? No I think I've probably talked way too much um, but yeah just I guess just really to say um, you know Thank you for for all the work that that you're doing. We really do appreciate um, you know, the the publicity and awareness raising that that you all do um, on our behalf, and that means a a, a huge amount uh, to us. I think it really contributes to our credibility um, as an organisation, um, and you know, and also the morale <laughs> within within the organisation when uh, when when times get tough. You know, we really we really pr- appreciate the support that we that we get from organisations like. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. I think what you do is so important, so I'm glad to help in any way I can. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you.